because Americans and some people in particular often feel shame about feeling shame that sometimes we even lose track of what shame even feels like at all in the first place if we're so used to just kind of tamping it down and like Emily like you said like about kind of shoving it to the back mm-hmm. you know and it's there but we don't want to look at it and we don't want to acknowledge it that sometimes like your body and your emotions still find a way of it coming out Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we are talking about shame in relationships. In this two-parter, in this part one, we're going to be taking a deep dive into why humans evolved to feel shame in the first place. What does it actually look like? How does it show up? As well as some of the theories about why we've developed that and how it can be good for us and also harmful for us. And then next week in part two, we're going to go on to talk specifically about how that shows up in non-traditional relationships like polyamory, as well as some concrete ways to counteract the shame that we level at ourselves and some healthy ways of applying and using shame in our lives. So is it just me or is shame like real hot these days? Maybe it's just oh, a is circle. It? Is it? Yeah, it might just be the circles that I run in. I feel like within the more therapeutic self-help kind of circles, shame starting to become a hot thing, but maybe I'm biased. It oh. just reminds me of the Steve McQueen movie with uh, Magneto and Carrie Mulligan. <laughs> about, oh, right, about the affair or whatever. I actually have no idea what happened. I didn't see <laughs> I the never film. saw it, yeah. By, yeah, I didn't see the film, but it's called Shame. So. By Magneto, do you mean Ian McKellen? No, I don't. I mean, mean James the more... McAvoy. No, that's also not Magneto. That's <laughs> oh, Professor X. Sorry. <laughs> Jeez. What's his um, name? Which Magneto do you mean? I know. The, the more recent Magneto. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Give me a second. Give me a second. Good Lord. Yeah. Um, Michael Fassbender. Okay. Right. Michael, Mike, Michael Fassbender. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Off to a good start. I feel ashamed. About that, yeah, I already feel ashamed. I feel ashamed that I forgot what is. Well, this is a good segue for me to ask: How does shame show up in your day to day life? Uh, we're just gonna like dive right in here. Um, yeah, I I think I've talked about it before. Yeah, I think like the biggest way that shame tends to show up in my life is uh, that I compare myself to the closest people in my life often. And that tends to be the two of you, my partner, my mom, and my two best friends, Tina and James in Arizona. And the fact that all all of you are like the smartest people on the planet. And I feel very inadequate in comparison in terms of my mental abilities. However, for whatever reason, y'all are around me and like me. So I guess that means something. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Gosh. But that tends to be the thing that, that makes me feel shame on a pretty consistent if not daily basis. Mm, great. Geez. Great. Good. Great. Gosh, how about yeah. you, Jason? Great. So great. I know. Well, Dedeker, when you were talking about how shame is trending or it's hot right now, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I've been way ahead of this trend. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I think for me, it shows up in specifically in sort of never, um, never forgiving myself for things in the past that I've done wrong that I that I think I was wrong about even if I didn't think I was wrong at the time uh that's one way it shows up for me a lot and I think the other way is one that I is maybe related but I feel like I've been getting better about this one and that's um that for some reason from the time I was pretty young I had this sense that if you ever were wrong uh like wrong in answering something or like if if something like, you know, if you answered a question in class or you stated some fact that then turned out to be wrong, uh, that that was something to be super ashamed of. And so you always had to be very, very careful of that or find ways to like avoid that possibility. Um, anyway, and that's something that I noticed, though, years ago of like, huh, 
I feel like a disproportionate fear of that ever happening, which is, is weird and not very productive for my growth as a person. And so that's something I've sort of actively worked on for a while um, of just sort of like letting go of that and just realizing like, hey, actually, that doesn't have any bearing on anything. Um, so there's there's my long answer. What wow. about you? Yeah, yeah what about you? I think for me, I have a big complex of feeling ashamed around anything that's not uh, perfect within myself. Mm. Um, yeah. within, within yourself. Yeah. Well, as you're talking, I, it brought back a bunch of childhood memories for me is that from the time I was very, very young, I felt a lot of shame about um, like not being an adult, if that sounds weird. Huh. I had because I was mostly raised around adults. I didn't have a lot of you know outside of going to school. I didn't have a lot of like other kids my age around, and I historically just carried a lot of shame about being a child, actually, and not being mature enough, and not knowing things, and not being able to do things, you know, mm. and yeah. not being able to wow. be like the adults around me. And now I think now that's changed into being ashamed of any time <laughs> that I was younger or less experienced or had a less evolved well, opinion or didn't have skills that are as good as they are now. And then I know that 10 years in the future, I'm going to be ashamed of the skills that I have now. So it's feels, um, yeah. Yeah. Shame's same's a doozy. It's a doozy. It's a doozy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So clearly in picking this topic, we've picked something that's very relevant in all of our own lives, as well as something that we see show up for a lot of other people too. Yeah. So let's dive right in and talk about, how are we going to define shame for the purposes of this episode? I uh, Well, a lot of people are familiar with Brene Brown's definition of shame. And so this is what it is. It's the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And that's, to me, a really good definition. That is kind of what it feels like. It's almost, it's almost also like a thing that you put away uh, like at the at the back of your mind, it's always there, but you try to like not look at it as much as possible because it simply exists and you don't want to talk about it or think about it as much as you can, but it's still always like manifests in a variety of ways in your life. Yeah, it's like the skeleton in the closet emotionally yeah. in some way. And um, it's occurring to me, maybe it's Brene Brown's fault why shame is so hot right now. She oh, did that TED perhaps. Talk a few years ago and then put out a couple I books. See. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, there's another one. A, a clinical psychology professor, Gershon Kaufman, said that feeling shame is the result of a breaking of the interpersonal bridge between ourselves and another. See, that's very specific shame about another person or like about per perhaps something that you did to another person or an interaction that you had that with another person that caused you shame after the fact. Well, okay, what I see in these two definitions that seem to be point a point in common is that it's connected to belonging in a particular mm. way, belonging and love, that it's connected to like the social relationships around yeah. you. And my experience of shame is I feel like it's something that both occurs because there's some kind of disconnect or some kind of break in some relationship around you and then also causes you to want to pull away from those relationships as well. Yeah. That it's a little bit of a, you know, whatever the fancy Latin name is for that snake that eats its own tail. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize it had a fancy <laughs> Latin name. That's cool. Yeah. So I think that these two definitions are also getting at something that we're going to discuss later as we go on in this episode too, is kind of teasing apart different aspects of shame, maybe even giving different names to some things that you could call shame. Uh, and so I think that's worth keeping in mind that in one definition, it's just about feeling that we're flawed and feeling pain about that. And the other one, it's more specific to the breaking of an interpersonal bridge between ourselves and, and another, or perhaps a group of others also. Uh, so in looking at this, one of the things we wanted to just to figure out for this episode is like, where did shame come from at all? Like, why, why do we feel this at all? Uh, and there's actually been a lot of research into the phenomenon of shame. And there are a variety of theories that point toward it being a fundamental emotion that humans evolved for survival, ultimately, for the preservation of our relationships and our place in the group, which 
I think it's been a while since we talked about this on the show, but with a lot of evolutionary psychology, that's kind of the idea is that as humans, we don't live very well on our own. Like a lot of our strength as a species comes from our community working together and not just from having cool like fangs or or armor or claws or anything like that like we're fairly squishy and helpless image yeah (laughs) right but (laughs) we evolved to be very very good at having these cohesive groups and working together and so the idea that shame evolved to help facilitate that you two talked about apologies last week and i wasn't here for that episode but it made me think about how sometimes when you want an apology from someone you also want them to feel shame like Mm -hmm. i know that i've been in situations where i'm like well okay you're saying you apologize but it doesn't seem like you really understand what happened or that you hurt me or something and it's like you almost want that person to feel shame which now i feel shame for ever feeling (laughs) that way but it's interesting how those two uh, you know can kind of coexist at the same time uh and i i'm assuming we'll talk about that as the show yeah, goes on a little bit more. Th- that's true. That makes sense. You know, thinking back to our apology episode, that for some people, a big part of receiving an apology is hearing regret. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, you know, regret seems to have its basis tied in in feeling shame to a certain yeah. extent. Um, yeah. So as far as studying this, I mean, Evo Psych, I always try to take with a grain of salt. Um, but I read about this research study that wasn't just like modeled on how we think we may have uh, behaved as early human beings, but actually re- did actual research and surveying in extant societies today. So specifically, there was a group of researchers in 2016, and they came from, you know, University of Montreal, UC Santa Barbara, among a number of others. They interviewed about 900 people from around the world, and they focused on 15 smaller societies. Uh, from what I saw on their map, mostly societies that were not in North America, so pretty much everywhere else, but in places like the Andes and Ecuador, in small farming and fishing communities in Japan, you know, village in a remote part of Siberia, among just all these different societies. And they asked participants about different hypothetically shameful situations that one might be in. So as in someone's committed a robbery or an infidelity, or they are lazy, or they're stingy and greedy, things like that. And so the participants were asked to rate on a scale how shameful they think that someone outside of them might feel about being in that situation, you know? So it's like, yeah, your neighbor, you know, your neighbor's super lazy. How ashamed do you think they feel about that, you know? And they were also asked, how much did they think that the whole community itself might devalue that person for being lazy or for being stingy or whatever? And then they were also asked, how ashamed would you yourself feel if you were in that shameful situation or circumstance, if you were the one who committed a robbery or you were lazy or stingy or stuff like that? So they found that the amount a community devalues a person is strongly commensurate with how much shame that person feels. So It's important here to highlight that this is different from other negative emotions that are sometimes attached to shame, like things like sadness or anger or anxiety. I definitely feel a lot of anxiety attached to my shame, and I think that that tends to make me more anxious about speaking sometimes, especially to very intelligent people around me. Um, And so the amount of anxiety or sadness that you might feel as an individual does not necessarily correlate to the same amount of negative fallout that you might get from your community. That's that's, interesting. I know. It's like hard to even wrap my brain around exactly what this is saying here. But yeah, right. It's essentially that in measuring this question of like, how much shame would you feel? And also how much would you devalue someone else? And then kind of taking all those answers in aggregate and looking at it and going, oh, like the amount you feel you would be ashamed is pretty much directly tied to how much you would also devalue that person in your community versus if it was like, how sad would you be if you did this thing? Or how angry would you be? Or how much anxiety would you feel that those didn't really have a correlation? And that's interesting too, because when I when I try to think about that, I'm like, what is shame? Like, what does shame feel like? Because I feel like it's kind of all those things. Mm-hmm, it's like, yeah. oh, there might be sadness, there might be anger, there might be anxiety, there might be fear. So that's that's interesting too. Of like, how do you tease apart this one thing that is shame? Because apparently we can, if you ask us, what's shame versus what's those? 
we can give you a different answer as humans, but that'd be really hard to explain. Yeah, I mean, shame involves all of those things, it seems like. Yeah. And that's kind of like a fundamental part of, of what shame is, is that it can involve so many different things. So, okay, Daniel Sincer? Oh, yeah. This is, yeah, this, no this is like four consonants in a row in this person's yeah. name. So I'm sorry <laughs> about that, Emily. S-Z-N-Y-C-E-R. Sincer? Snicer? Snicer. Sure, Snicer. Okay. Says that the function of pain is to prevent us from damaging our own tissue, and the function of shame is to prevent us from damaging our social relationships or to motivate us to repair them. And this person who said this was the lead author of the paper based on this study that we're talking about here. So it's essentially the same. He's saying that it's kind of similar to pain, that it's also like an inherent response within us that occurs to try to like help us m- to motivate us to repair a relationship. Yeah, That's it's kind of like the way that pain helps us protect ourselves. You know, it's a signal that's like, hey, you better not overdo it or you better slow down because this is painful and you don't want to hurt yourself more at that. They theorize that shame as that same function. But instead of protecting your physical body, it's like protecting your relationships and protecting mm-hmm. the connections that you have with other people. Yeah, this just reminded me of something that I heard a while back that's a theory about why we blush. Huh. Uh, specifically, like, why do we blush when we're lying? Like, why do we have tells when we're lying? And basically, the, the, the line of questioning goes, okay, if we start from the assumption that, like, if we're going to lie, getting caught for it's bad, right? So why would we evolve to do a thing that gives away if we might be lying or hiding something? And the argument kind of like, this one for shame is that perhaps we evolved that specifically so we would get caught sooner before we've done more damage to our standing in the community. The idea being if you tell a little lie and you get caught right away, it's like, oh gosh, yeah, sorry, I was keeping that from you. As opposed to you have no tells and you get away with it and you get away with it and it grows and you know lies grow on themselves to this point where oh my gosh, you've been lying to me for so long. How can I ever trust you? You're kicked out of the society and now you're dead. Yeah. But it kind of reminds me of that same idea of like, it might seem to us to be like counterproductive as something to evolve, but maybe actually is very helpful to us to keep us in a group, <laughs> to keep to keep people from wanting to kick us out eventually. Wow. Yeah. Uh, There's also some theories that shame evolved in children specifically to avoid abandonment or harm by their caregivers. You know, whether that's their parents or people in the village. Yeah. 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 No, I watched recently um, for this very long explanation why and I'm not going to give it, but YouTube sometimes serves me up kind of like video recordings of um, like sociology and psychology experiments with children especially with kind of just to demonstrate, you know, brain development and stuff like that. And yeah, they talk about from a very, very early age, children learn to monitor their behavior specifically to avoid adult anger, even when the anger is not directed at them. And shame is part of that response. You know, it's part of that survival response. Well, and again, I mean, that's like with the apology thing, like I know over many years of me being a child around my mother like, you know, if I didn't clean my room or if I did something wrong in any way, I, I felt as though I was expected to feel shame about it. And then therefore, you know, love would be given back to me in some way. So that's yeah, it, it I was like, yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense um, when in given context about children and how they relate to their families. Yeah. So a little bit later, we're going to talk about the difference between toxic shame and healthy shame, which sometimes is also described as uh, as toxic shame being shame and healthy shame being guilt um, and trying to apply this. So just so you know, we're, we're going to kind of get into that later. So if that's something that's jumped out for you of like, hey, this seems like there's a few different things going on. Yes. Yes, you're right. Uh, and we're also going to talk a little bit about how some studies have shown different ways that guilt versus shame have maybe given us different adaptations or maladaptations to our lives as humans. 
So let's first talk about how all of this kind of plays out in real life. And Dedeker, you wanted to give a a little bit of a shout out here. Yeah. So uh, I'm in the middle of doing training with the Center for Healing Shame based in Berkeley. Uh, They do a lot of specific workshops more for like therapeutic professionals, you know, people who are therapists, counselors, coaches, things like that, specifically uh, to give them resources for healing shame and working through shame with clients. Uh, however, they do have workshops and stuff that are open to, you know, lay people as it were. And we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the episode. Awesome. So yeah, let's talk about how all of this shame can play out in real life. And we have a lot of external sources of shaming, the one that we just talked about, which is our parents or our family of origin, that definitely can come out in so many ways throughout our lives and throughout, um, you know, fights that we have with our partners, for example, disagreements that we have with our friends, challenges that we have internally, all of that can happen because of our family of origin and the way in which our parents treated us while we were growing up. Uh, this is something that I don't have to deal with, but I know the two of you have had to deal with it is the, um, the shame that comes from religion, uh, the concept of original sin from Christianity, things like that. I don't know if you two want to speak on that a little bit more. I mean, this one, I think, really varies depending on how you were brought up religiously, but it is. It, tied to this idea that maybe you should feel a certain amount of guilt or shame just for existing at all is wow. kind of a... That's what original sin, yeah. Yeah, it's basically this kind of idea, idea of like yeah. from the moment you're born, you are you're inherently You bad. suck. Yeah, yeah. inherently. Yeah. And your entire life's work is to try to undo that, essentially become kind of more perfect and less sinful in order to get closer to God or in order to get into heaven. And Jeez, what's the point honestly, of getting on the earth at all? I, I think even if you weren't necessarily raised religiously or, or, or Christian, that it's like, this is still so pervasive, you know, in, especially in Western culture. Yeah. Yeah. And this is also not something limited to Christianity specifically. That's just the one that we have personal experience with. So, um, Other sources, external sources of shaming is things like, Emily, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but past relationships. Mm -hmm. Perhaps there was something that came up as an issue in that relationship that your partner shamed you for. Um, Gloria Jackson Nefertiti talked about that a little bit, about shame coming from a partner specifically, rather than kind of this internally generated shame. Uh, There's also, like religion, our culture and our society at large. Uh, often instills shame, often related to being different, whether that's about gender or race or sexuality or identity or relationship style or any number of things. But this idea that I remember once I heard this sort of, um, I don't know, irreverent sort of sarcastic story trying to point this out is that as a human being, as a member of society, it's your obligation to always have your shit together at every moment and to always be totally confident in what you're doing and to always be correct and never make mistakes. And if you can't do those things, at least have the dignity to be ashamed about. <laughs> and it's just like really pointing out that it's like, it, yeah. that's kind of how we're treated a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How we treat ourselves, I guess, and each other. Yeah, yeah. And that leads to my next point, which is that I think Americans in particular often feel shame about feeling ashamed at any given point, you know, because I think there is that expectation of you got to be number one and you got to be somebody and you got to be independent and you got to be your own voice and stand out from the crowd and do your own thing and fight for the American dream and stuff like that. And so admitting to any failure or feeling the shame of any failure or any difference is also kind of seen of like, it's this weird catch 22 of like, well, you should feel ashamed about that. But like, but no, you should also be confident. And so you shouldn't really be sinking into shame about that. And I think it's it's a really toxic push pull that a lot of people find themselves caught in of like, I feel shame about certain things, but I'm also not really allowed to acknowledge that shame because to acknowledge the fact that I have shame is a shameful thing. And mm-hmm. then the spiral like we- just goes down and down and down. We keep coming back to this this dragon eating its tail or the snake eating its there. tail. Yeah, I looked yeah. it up to you. I said I said it to you too. Ugh. All right, <laughs> what's it? What is it? Ouroboros. 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 It's, Ouro- it's Greek, actually. Ah, yeah. uh, okay. <laughs> Egyptian iconography. Uh-huh. Iconography. That's cool. Yeah. Neat. Okay. Uh, so there's a lot of different nuances surrounding how shame can feel in our in our bodies and just 
I guess, just in our heads uh, and sort of where they originate from and like how they manifest in our psyche. So we've talked about some of these things, but one thing is like the inner critic that we have someone, you know, the little voice in the back of your head telling you that you suck or that you can't do X, Y, and Z thing or comparing you to other people. Um, and then embarrassment or humiliation when something that you do makes you super embarrassed. I don't know. You, yeah, you say something on a podcast and you're like, shit, why did I say that? And then it's yeah. out there for the whole world to hear forever. Whoops. I uh, feeling judged by others. Definitely. Yeah. And especially I think when, when that other is somebody that you're close to, whether it be your partner or your best friends or your parents, something along those lines, uh, thinking that there's something wrong with me. Yeah. That's definitely something that I've felt before. Yeah. There's just like something inherently wrong with me. And I think a lot of people who are in non-traditional relationships feel this way before they, they start learning more about that non-traditional relationship. I know all of us felt various parts of that. And you talk about it a lot, Dedeker, like maybe there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And then feeling disrespected by yeah. another person. Yeah. So this is an interesting one. Um, I think because Americans and some people in particular often feel shame about feeling shame that sometimes we even lose track of what shame even feels like at all in the first place. If we're so used to just kind of tamping it down and like Emily, like you said, like about kind of shoving it to the back, mm -hmm. you know, and it's there, but we don't want to look at it and we don't want to acknowledge it that sometimes like your body and your emotions still find a way of it coming out, you know, just sometimes with slightly different words. And so that can be something like you're talking about with the inner critic, like perfectionism often is based in shame in the shame of not being perfect, you know, and then perfectionism is a response to that. And same with this disrespected one, you know, this is one that like someone who doesn't feel very comfortable with the idea of admitting to being ashamed will admit to feeling disrespected, which huh. is, it's just, I mean, to me, it feels like just another word for feeling shame, you know, but yeah. it's kind of like there's these subtle little nuances of emotion and of feeling and of even language that surround shame, you know, especially the shame that feels so intense that we can't even really look at it head on. Yeah. 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 And that's a way to kind of, put it outside of yourself and to sort of be on the attack about it. It's like, oh, I'm being disrespected, not I feel this thing about myself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, like Emily mentioned earlier, it can show up as a feeling of anxiety. I think that often comes up as like, I don't want something to happen that I might feel mm. shame about. So I'm going to feel anxious about it. Or it can be, I feel anxious because I feel ashamed and I'm afraid someone's going to find out what a terrible person I am. Maybe like imposter syndrome sometimes too. Uh, it can also show up as just feeling frozen, like just feeling stuck or frozen or similarly maybe feeling powerless or just feeling awkwardness or uncomfortableness. Um, yeah. I, I've often described that as just feeling like I don't feel comfortable in my own skin, mm -hmm. like in a literal sense, not just as a metaphor, but like I literally like physically feel like uncomfortable. Yeah. I, I know for myself personally, like shame often shows up as feeling stuck or feeling like I've hit a dead end in some mm. kind of way. Like it, it feels like sometimes it it feels like, you know, like the gas break, the gas and brake are being pushed at the same time to a certain extent. And as I've started to learn more about shame, it's really opened up a lot of stuff where, for instance, if I have a task on my to do list that keeps getting put off and keeps getting put off and keeps getting put off or keeps being I keep forgetting about or I keep on not doing and I start to feel stuck on that that's become a cue for me of like, huh, I wonder if I'm feeling any shame related to this. And pretty much nine times out of 10, I am, you know, it's a weird shame of like, I feel ashamed preemptively that I can't do this right. Or I feel ashamed because I've already done this really poorly and I don't think I could do it again. You know, that there's always some little bit of shame in there when I'm feeling stuck or frozen in some particular way. God, that reminds me of practicing. Like, <laughs> if I like have a particularly difficult voice lesson, and it, you know, my voice teacher's like, "Well, you need to practice more. You you're clearly like doing poorly with that or X, Y, and Z thing," and then I'll feel anxiety about it or stuck, and then it makes me not want to practice. Which per right. so it's like a yeah self fulfilling yeah. prophecy of then I suck again in the lesson or whatever. 
I've wow. never been good about practicing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for telling for showing me why, Dedeker. Well done. I mean, let me and let me tell you though, I've also started doing this with my clients as well. That as soon as someone says like I feel stuck or I feel frozen about this, like I'll start to kind of gently start asking about shame. And most of the time, it's like it's an elephant in the room. Like like that's wow. been a big factor, kind of influencing the situation. Um, there's a particular psychologist, Sylvan Tompkins, who describes shame as a quote unquote binding emotion. You know, he made the argument that shame binds to other emotions, other hotter emotions like anger or like sadness or fear in order to lower their charge. His thinking behind this was that like, you know, if you have anger, or sadness or some very intense emotion comes up, shame helps to dampen it again to help preserve your relationships so huh. that you don't fly off the handle in a rage or just like collapse in a crying jag. You know, that that shame made it in theory a little bit safer to have this emotion because it helped lower the affect of it or lower the heat of it, um, hmm. which I think is interesting. I've definitely seen that. I've definitely experienced that. I've personally have also seen the opposite of this, where sometimes if an emotion comes up, that you just cannot shake, or if you feel like you're you're having an emotional response that's not necessarily appropriate to the scope of what's happening, a that could be a uh, you know a clue that there's maybe some kind of trauma behind that. Uh, but b I've also seen that sometimes that implies that like there's a layer of shame here also that's adding fuel to the fire of making the anger more unbearable, or making the fear more unbearable, or making the sadness just more unbearable and untenable and harder to deal with. That's that's at least what I've seen, but I've probably not done as much research or written as many books as Sylvan Tompkins has, so I don't know if I can hold a candle to it. <laughs> Nothing to feel shameful about. But <laughs> yeah. that's, that's interesting that sometimes I know in relationships where I've been with fairly volatile people that like the emotion of anger comes first, and then maybe hours later the emotion of shame comes. So, yeah, like the anger mm -hmm. is at the forefront, but then later they'll come back and be like, you know, I'm really sorry, I should have acted better or X, Y, and Z thing. And yeah, then that's the, I don't know, that's interesting that it can be an afterthought. And well, then in some ways it can be at the forefront. I've also heard theories that like, really, the first thing you feel is shame. Like that moment when you feel disrespected or not heard or disappointed in some way that the first thing you feel in shame, but then the secondary emotion that kind of helps to cover up the shame is the anger or the sadness or anxiety. And but sometimes then, that pushes through more. Yeah, I, I don't know. know. I mean, I mean, I Depending. think I think because there's so many theories around this, it just boils down to the fact that this is such a personal experience for people, the way it totally this emotion comes up for them and how they deal with it. Yeah, it it's interesting. It it this whole conversation about sort of the fact that shame maybe shows up as all these different emotions and that it's not always clear on how each person experiences or experiences it or where exactly it comes from. It reminds me a lot of the conversations we've had about jealousy. That's mm. also similarly this emotion that when you really start to tease it apart, it's like, oh, actually, maybe this isn't just one thing, but it's like attached to a lot of other things. And I would say probably also very much attached to shame. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting, too. And that might be something to explore in the future. Yes. This, and this we'll definitely, we'll talk about it a little bit later when we're talking about specifically how shame shows up in non-traditional relationships, like polyamorous relationships or non-monogamous relationships. But before we do that, we're going to take a moment to talk about support for this week's episode. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. 
Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. All right. So let's talk about what are our most common responses to shame? What are the things that tend to happen in our feelings, in our bodies, in our actions that help us avoid actually feeling the discomfort of shame and actually looking at it? Hmm. Yeah. Like thinking back about that analogy of shame being the equivalent to our social well-being as pain is to our physical well-being like the point of pain is so that you stop doing the thing or you change your behavior somehow, right? Like you take your hand off the hot thing or you don't put so much pressure on that foot or whatever it is that it's interesting thinking about it this way is like, what's the equivalent of that from a social standpoint of shame? And it's interesting because I think there's some good ways we can do it and some not so good ways. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So I think a really common not so good way that we respond to shame is by attacking ourselves, maybe needlessly. So that's things like really intense or really harsh self-criticism, perfectionism. Perfectionism is you, but (laughs) self-criticism is me. (laughs) uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, same sides uh, different sides of the same coin or there maybe the same side of the same coin i don't know um don't but know. thinking things like i deserve this or i deserve this bad thing that happened or just i myself am inherently bad or toxic as a person now the other side of this is that we can also respond to shame by choosing to go outwards and attack others so that's things like blame or pointing the finger, uh, outward critique, really harsh outward critique, uh, contempt, or even violence as well. Yeah. Uh, or we can go the route of denial, which is often associated with that kind of shutting down or freezing like we talked about before, which is numbing, disassociating, or self-medicating, like drinking or smoking or something like that. Uh or just kind of trying to almost like ignore it, like it wasn't that bad or it could be worse. Um, I feel like sometimes we actually add to our shame or to other people's shame by then comparing it to other people's situations. It's like, oh, well, at least you don't have it as bad as these other people or this other person. And while maybe that can be helpful sometimes for gaining perspective, it also is kind of denying that shame, which then you can sometimes feel shame about the fact that you even felt that way at all. And the whole cycle starts again. Uh, Or another one is withdrawing, which is pulling away from society and just going into isolation or mistrusting people or like keeping everything a lot more secret. It's like, oh, well, if I don't tell anyone about my weird sexual fantasies, then no one can shame me for it, right? Like, I'm just going to keep that to myself and keep it secret. I think Uh, of like... Or sorry, just my. I thought of my mom, like not having great relationships throughout her life, and how now she lives alone, and she feels very comfortable with that. And I think that that is a thing. But I wonder if any of that comes from shame over not being great at romantic relationships in her life. And I wonder, like how how that manifests in a variety of people who like kind of just choose ultimately. Hey, it's better if I'm just alone. I feel like there's a lot of other factors involved in that, though. A lot of things to unpack there, yeah. I think there's also something to be said for getting away from this idea that you can only be happy in a relationship and actually being comfortable on your own. So I don't know. I don't know. I think it really depends on the circumstance there. But there can be many, like you said, yeah, many factors. Shame could be a part of that, too. You know, Mm -hmm. I definitely know some people. There's people that I know who, you know, decide to be single or unpartnered and decide for, you know, very, I guess, um, 
self-fulfilling reasons, you know, Mm. and it feels good for them and it feels right for them. And yes, I also know a lot of people where it's like, I've just been, had such a terrible experience and burned so many times, you know, that it's easier to just like pull away and isolate and not trust anybody than Mm. to, than to try again. Yeah. Yeah. And so to then go back to this analogy of shame being like pain, there's also some more constructive ways. And we're going to cover this more in the second part of this, where we really talk about healthy ways of of dealing with shame and addressing it. But I think it's worth talking about here too, that, that shame isn't necessarily always a bad thing. And again, maybe you'll call this guilt instead of shame. But other things we might do is to try to immediately make amends with whoever it is that we did, if, you know, if we did something wrong, trying to make amends for it or apologizing, uh, as I talked about in the last episode, um, or it could be trying to find relationships where you're not shamed for that, you know, like moving away from the source of pain and toward ones that aren't, it, you know, there's, there's positive things that can happen as well. So I don't want us to get too caught up in like, we're always going to do bad things when we feel this, because as we talked about, this is something that we evolved to have to preserve our social relationships. And so it's worth just sort of acknowledging that. Yeah, I don't, I definitely want to make sure that people don't take away this idea of like, oh, shame, shame equals bad. Okay, don't feel shame. You know, just now don't I'm do ashamed it. Probably, that I feel it. Yeah, yeah you're probably going to feel it <laughs> at some point. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's okay. So before we kind of wrap up this part one of this episode series here on shame, we want to talk about how this plays out in relationships. And shame can really be triggered by all of the external factors that we just mentioned, but they can also be triggered in relationships whenever we feel kind of dropped by a partner, like a partner doesn't live up to what we expect from them in various ways. So yeah, things like we expected something from them and they didn't live up to those expectations. And so then we feel shame surrounding that or they abandoned us or they neglected us at a time of need. This can happen a lot in relationships. We're going to talk about um, non-traditional relationships next time, but that's kind of what came to mind immediately is that, you know, I can't go on the state with you because I have my primary partner or whatever has something that they need. And so I'm going to drop you for them in this moment. Uh, They didn't receive a bid from us. We've talked about bids, even if it's a small thing or if it's something like I want to have sex right now or please watch this YouTube video or whatever, and then they ignore that bid. Uh, Or they rejected us in other ways. Um, Or they're different from us in a very distinct way. So there are problems that people tend to have that are just perpetual problems. The Gottmans talk about this and that they're not going to ever necessarily be solved or fixed. And you sort of have to learn to live with them in various ways if you're going to choose to be with that partner. Uh, And those things can include things like punctuality or sex or cleanliness or any variety of factors that just perhaps are not going to be solved within your relationship. But you can feel shame surrounding those. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel like sex is a big one for that. Oh, yeah. If, if, yeah. <laughs> especially I think in a partnership where you didn't know all this up front, I guess. And I think I would say it's impossible to know every single thing about someone's sexual feelings up front, <laughs> like at the beginning of yeah. a relationship, because that's always evolving. It's always developing. There's lots of layers there. But, um, this, as far as a source of shame, I've at least experienced this in lives of people that I know and in my own. When you're getting into relationships with this idea also related to shame of like, we can't talk about sex. And so then over time, as we're now feeling ashamed about not having as good a sex life as we think that we should, and then trying to talk about it, bumping up against that shame we felt that kept us from talking about it in the first place. Or maybe not as good of a sex life as we once did have. Yeah, absolutely. That too. Because that's a normal part of moving from NRE to later is that the sex life will change. But mm-hmm. then, yeah, then we put meaning behind it in this shame yeah. that then can do that. And I think yeah. the same is true with 
the other stuff we mentioned, like punctuality or cleanliness or things that might not reveal themselves till later. But I just wanted to mention sex specifically because it's one that there's a lot of shame surrounding sex in general. Yeah, in we our don't society. feel the same. Yeah, yeah, we don't feel the same shame talking about punctuality mm-hmm. as we do about sex. I would say maybe money would be the other one that there's mm-hmm. a lot of shame connected to even talking about it at all, that that can sometimes cause like an extra level. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. So when something like this happens, when we feel dropped by a partner in some way, when we feel neglected or abandoned or or some kind of micro rejection or become aware of the fact that they have this extreme difference from us, you know, the shame that arises from that, it can manifest in any of those like common responses that we talked about, you know, like denial, withdrawal, attacking others, attacking self, self critique, things like that. But in relationships specifically, it often results in either A, either we shame ourselves, we see ourselves as wrong and inadequate, or B, we shame the other person and we make them wrong. Mm -hmm. So we can use sex or money or any of those things as an example. But so if I have an extreme difference in the kind of sex that I like to have that's different from my partner's, you know, I can very often what you'll see is either I'll make the choice to be like, oh, there's something wrong with me. I need to adjust myself sexually or I need to make some kind of change in how I approach sex or I need to get over my sexual hangups or whatever it is. Or it's very common to see the tactic of, oh, I'm going to shame my partner for being weird and gross and different. And why do they want this thing? And why do they want sex in this particular way? And that's not normal. And and they're the ones who are wrong about this. Same thing with money. Same thing with punctuality. Same thing with cleanliness. Like you can see it all across the board. And And that it can go either direction too. That it's like with sex, it can be as simple as feeling like the other person, I should make them ashamed. Not that you think this so logically, but, you know, I should make them feel ashamed for not wanting as much sex as I do, because that means they don't love me or they don't care about this relationship. Or it could be the opposite of like, they should feel shame about being so sexually motivated because like, that's not what love is about. And that's not the core of our relationship, right? It's so easy with any of those things with with money about the way that we spend it or save it is another like real common example of that, of it's just, you can either way you can shame it. It's not just like one person's the outlier and the other shames them for not being normal. But especially for sex and money, there are things that because we don't talk about, I think it's easier to sort of um, send shame either way that we're already sensitive to because it's something we already feel shame about. Yeah. And in relationships, it's... (sighs) It's real dang easy to shame a partner, mm-hmm. I find. Mm-hmm. It's just so, so dang easy to do it. And it can happen on a scale. It's not always, like you said, Jace, it's not always this like hyperlogical, like I'm going to shame this person for this, you know, that it can be like very, very subtle ways. It can show up in the ways that we ourselves were shamed as yeah. children or from other partners that often we pass that on in, again, in sometimes very small ways or sometimes very large, obvious ways. So, you know, we can shame our partners through neglect through dismissing their feelings. This is a huge one. This is a huge one that shows up all the time by dismissing their feelings, you know, by saying like, oh, it's well, almost like really... gaslighting. Yeah, sometimes it can start to approach gaslighting. But sometimes, I mean, we've talked about this on past episodes that it can even come from a good intended place, a well-intended place of like, I'm trying to reassure my partner by telling them like, oh, no, no, you don't need to be upset. Like, you don't need to be sad about this. Like, I'm here. It's okay. You know, you should know that I'm here. You should know that I'm that I'm supporting you like you really don't need to be worried and sometimes that can come across as just being dismissed like not actually sitting with your partner's feelings and receiving them but just straight up dismissing them and then that can engender a feeling of shame even when you didn't intend for that to be the result um yeah can include behaviors like discounting their perspective by kind of claiming like no i'm the one who understands how that fight went down no you're not remembering it correctly could be things like toxic criticism, like we've covered in previous episodes, or just straight up blame as well. Yeah, like in just hearing you go through this list, in my mind, I was sort of taking a little trip down memory lane oh, of all, all sorts of old relationships and things where, where these things have come up in often in, in little ways, but that would then maybe build up over time of just kind of more and more of a little thing adds up to something bigger or sometimes being just outright shaming for something um, like 
Oh gosh. I, I mean, I'm, I'm scared to even think of, of concrete examples right now, but just knowing that like all of these things have absolutely shown up in relationships of mine in, in the past. Yeah. I feel like the big ones sometimes are dismissal of someone's feelings or discounting their perspective. That's a really, those are two really big ones, especially when you are feeling particularly defensive in the middle of like a high octane moment in your fighting or in your relationship, you know, about anything. Because yeah, it it deflecting seems to be a big thing for humans wanting to like, make that pain or that shame go away. And so instead, you're going to like discount someone else and how they felt or what their perspective on an issue was. That's yeah. tough. Yeah, it, that's a good reason to halt <laughs> or to take a breath or to take a moment and and let those emotions subside before you really like go there. But it can be difficult to do in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's worth noting the fact that that usually you're not doing this intentionally. Yeah. I would I would say most of the time you're not and most of the time your partner's probably not which is always one of those things that jumps out to me is like, this is a thing really worth spending some time learning about and thinking about because we're so blind to it before we notice it. But then once we start to notice it, it's like, oh gosh, there, there it was. And then the next step is, can I get good enough to notice it as it's happening so that we can short circuit that cycle and stop that or Aurora Borealis? No, the aura, Ouroboros. Ouroboros? Ouroboros. Yeah, stop that Ouroboros from keep on Eating themselves. Yeah. From chomping, chomping on his little tippy tail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is a huge topic, and uh, we don't have the time to necessarily cover the full breadth of this topic today. So that's why we are bringing you a two-parter. Woo! Yeah. So, two for Tuesday. Yeah. So next week, when we tackle part two of talking about shame and relationships, we're going to be talking about specifically how shame shows up in polyamorous and other non-traditional relationships. We're going to be talking about what healthy shame might look like versus unhealthy shame or toxic shame. We're going to be talking about counter shaming. So specific things that you can do to help counteract shame. And we're also going to be talking about healthy shaming which I hope is an intriguing topic to y'all listening. It's definitely an intriguing topic to me and I can't wait to talk about it. Definitely. Yeah. So with all of this, we are very interested to know how shame shows up in your life, how shame shows up in your relationships. Uh, Even if, you know, as a preview to next week's episode, if there are ways that you can counteract your own personal shame or shame that happens in your relationship, we would love to hear all of those things. And the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvinetta. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.